Hello and welcome to Blue Royalty, a London is Blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women's team. I'm your host, Jess Park Humphreys, joined today to wrap up all of the transfer madness, most of which did not happen anywhere near Chelsea. But there was some movement on deadline day at Chelsea. So I'm joined by Ollie Glanville to talk through all of that. Ollie, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, it's so unlike us to not be the number one story on deadline day, isn't it? So yeah, lots of to discuss and to get into. It has been really strange because I've been like winding myself up today reading people's sort of reviews of the window. And it is really striking the way sort of people are just casually like, yeah, so Chelsea signed, just signed Ashley Lawrence, Katarina Macario, me official. Um, it's just like one line. And then there's like paragraphs and paragraphs on like United and Arsenal's business. I'm like, guys, if this had happened this week, you would be all frothing at the mouth. But because we got our business done early, like literally nobody cares, which is just so funny to me um you, you would really think reading some of these things that we hadn't signed anybody yeah there's definitely a phenomenon at the moment about winning the window isn't there and um yeah i imagine if uh you know you asked an arsenal fan or a or a united fan how they were feeling about the window about 72 hours ago probably not the best <laughs> but um yeah after maybe a lot better but i'm sure we'll get into that yeah, definitely. Well, as I've said, there is some Chelsea things to talk through. So we do have a loan uh, that did happen at the end. So we'll have a bit about chat about that and what that sort of means for the squad. Um, some other sort of squad discussions looking at the size of it. Now we actually know who is in and who is out or think we maybe know. Um, obviously, there's some question marks, I think, still, which maybe we'll have to wait until that first game of the season to become clear. And we will talk about who Arsenal United brought in. Obviously, we kind of have to think about that and how it might reflect on the season to come. Especially interesting, obviously, from an Arsenal perspective in terms of them not having Champions League now. And we'll just wrap up with a bit of chat about international call-ups, some exciting news for some of the players in our squad. Some maybe not worrying, that's too strong of a word, but uh, some interesting lack of call-ups for certain players too, which might have uh, some reflection on what is to come. But let's start with the loan for Nicky Everard. Um, Chelsea confirming that goalkeeper Nicky Everard has completed a season-long loan move to fellow WSL side Brighton Hove Albion. She is coming down to me in Lansing. I mean, I'm not in Lansing, but she will be not as nice as Worthing. Uh, Nikki put pen to paper on a three-year deal with the Blues this summer, having previously represented OH Leuven in her native Belgium. Uh, blah, 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 blah. First up, Ollie, is this our way of trying to break the Brighton curse where their goalkeeper has like the most amazing performance in their life by sending them a goalkeeper who then won't be able to play against us? Maybe, yeah. But of course, you know, you've got Sophie Bagley there going there as well at the same time. And I, I, I find that kind of really interesting that, that Brighton have gone for the double keeper on deadline day and what that kind of means going in like so close to like building up to the start of the season next month. But yeah, we, we've said so many times that it kind of has to be a goalkeeper that goes out on loan, right? We've just got so many of them and we weren't going to, as much as we wanted to make a first 11 of goalkeepers, it just wasn't going to happen. So um, <laughs> we only reached five in the end. And yeah, um, Nikki Everard goes out. I'll be really interested to see how she, how she plays um, because really we've not seen her since... Belgium really in the the internationals right um and it'd be really interesting to see how she adapts the league and and hopefully gets good minutes um you know aside from not being able to play against us it's really really competitive spot and you know the options will go into later but 
you know, it feels a bit kind of dog eat dog at the moment. Um, whoever comes out on top is kind of looking to to take the number one spot and AKB looks kind of just as assured as ever. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's going to be a really interesting thing to see how it plays out. Uh, a kind of interesting article in The Athletic about Chelsea hoarding goalkeepers, um, which was a bit strange because it made no mention of the fact that obviously Arsenal bid for Marriott and would therefore, if they got her, ended up with five goalkeepers. Um, but anyway, I think it'd be a lot more interesting to sort of inquire like why clubs might want to be pursuing this and why goalkeepers might want to come to Chelsea. But apparently that didn't really matter. Um Let's specifically talk about Everard going to Brighton. Um, I think on paper, this is a really good move for her. Brighton have done, in my opinion, a lot of very good business this summer. I think it remains to be seen how quickly those players can gel and, you know, how much of an impact they can have towards the top of the league. They put in some good performances under Mel Phillips up towards the end of the season. They also still looked a bit dodgy defensively at points. But I think this works quite well, obviously, because, Ollie, when you're sending a goalkeeper out on loan, obviously for a start, like, you're not going to get her to a United or an Arsenal, right? So, but it almost helps you want your goalkeeper to be being tested whilst they're on their loan. And Brighton seem to offer probably what's going to be like a good style of football, but realistically, they're still going to be tested quite a lot defensively. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's um, obviously in the league where we want uh, Nikki to perform in um, and she will come up against defenses in a way that she won't uh, against attackers, rather in a in a way that she won't um, for Chelsea. In that, largely Brighton don't have a lot of the ball unless they're playing teams of a similar level, um, and she'll have to probably make a lot more saves than she would um, at Chelsea. And as you say, it's it's a big test. Um, is she kind of ready for that volume of of concentration that you have to have constantly in the? WSL against the defences, especially when they're at their most confident and it's wave after wave of attacks. And, you know, we remember watching Brighton in the last few years and, and you know, as you say, they've had defensive issues and at, at times it's been like parting of the Red Sea with just people rushing through um, straight down the middle. And, yeah, the Brighton keepers having to essentially just bail them out um, as much as they possibly can. So, yeah, good luck to Nikki, is what I'd say. Um, I think I do really hope that she gets a lot of minutes. I think that's the crucial point here. And it does feel like we've had a number of offers from across Europe um, and not just the WSL um, to take her. And we've seemingly handpicked uh, Brighton as a team that need a goalkeeper of her quality and where she can really shine. So, as you say, it will be sort of alien for her maybe in terms of how many shots she comes up against maybe not internationally for Belgium but in terms of club level and I'm just really looking forward to seeing her develop yeah definitely the the Bagley signing does make it a bit more interesting it did sort of seem like Lydia Williams would go if both of the goalkeepers came in but I haven't seen anything that she has which means Brighton now have four goalkeepers so the goalkeeper madness continues across the... You don't just have to be Chelsea if to have a lot of goalkeepers. That's what every team can aspire to have as many goalkeepers as Emma Hayes. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting. I think it's good for Everard to have competition for spot. I would still assume that I think she is first choice in that role, but obviously I guess we'll wait and see depending on her performances. Um, and I can't wait to see her bouncy castle on Lansing Beach for the rest of the year. This does basically leave Hannah Hampton as our, our third choice. And I think... It looked for a while like this was was going to be the outcome. My concern here, Ollie, is that I just don't know how many minutes she is going 
to be able to get. Because, okay, Emily Orman didn't play at all last season, but that that was kind of understandable. I think that there was an expectation that she wouldn't play. That's not going to be the case with Hampton. You're also coming across, everyone knows this, but like we're also coming across um, back from a, a World Cup where Zajira Musovic played really well, and we're going to assume AKB is still number one. How do you see this like working out? Do you think Hampton is just sort of happy to take a year where she doesn't play as much potentially? Do you think she feels like she's got minutes assurances? Like she's played a lot for a goalkeeper her age. So I'm not concerned. I'm not super concerned if she doesn't get loads of minutes, but obviously as a player, you, you want to be playing. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, going off your point, you were saying about how clubs are hoarding goalkeepers, right? I, I think we're also in a sort of age now in women's football where we're asking more of, of our keepers, I think. And Hannah's a really interesting profile in that I think we bought her for her feet as as much as as much as her kind of goalkeeper basics. Um, and obviously we have um, Z who is getting better with her feet, but the kind of jury's still out in terms of her overall goalkeeping ability, despite her brilliant World Cup she had. And obviously AKB isn't going to last forever. So the kind of idea with um, with Hannah is a really interesting one. It feels like another bet that we've had. It I kind of it's a thing I've been thinking about in terms of a lot of our business. In terms of we're not just looking short term. We're trying to get the player in the door really early in order to facilitate a really kind of seamless transition further down the way. And whether that is with Zachira or Hannah or Nikki <laughs> or someone from the youth team that we've not we've not even brought through yet or someone else we sign that's I think where we're looking at in terms of the long-term planning um so yeah in in terms of what Hannah wants this season she's really competitive right she wants to be that number one player and has been in in her career previously before she came here so it was an odd move as people pointed out at the time um but she's eyeing up the England num- number one jersey as well and I think that's where she's kind of putting her stock in coming to a team like Chelsea and fighting her way to that number one spot. So early on in the season, especially when the cup games start, it will be really interesting to see if Emma gives her those sort of minutes here and there. Because obviously as a goalkeeper, you have to play you have to play the 90 minutes. <laughs> Otherwise, you're not going to get like uh, any serious minutes in, in terms of outside the cup. So yeah, I, I think it's it will be interesting to see the strategy early on, or if we can work out if there is one in terms of the goalkeeping situation. Um, but as ever at Chelsea, we tend to have kind of peaks and troughs um, throughout the season, and it's who Emma feels like she can trust, and I think that's the kind of key in those moments. So if Hannah becomes the goalkeeper, the when AKB is is out of form that can come in and kind of shore up and be that kind of young presence uh, and good with her feet playing out from the back, especially when we have loads and loads of possession, maybe a bit against lower ranked teams, then yeah, maybe that's the spot she's looking at and maybe something that Paul and Emma have maybe discussed about, you know, her stepping into. Yeah, and listen, if there's one thing that we can say about Hannah Hampton, it's that I don't think she's short on confidence let's say to put it delicately and it sounds like that's got her in hot water at other points but I also think to that extent I'm sure she'll look at the squad as it is and 
I don't actually have the numbers on this, but it feels like almost every season AKB has missed like a couple of chunks of game of either through illness or injury. And I don't really think there's any reason for Hampton to think why she couldn't be out Musevich for that starting spot. Um, like I know Musevich is coming off this amazing World Cup, but we've all watched Shakira Musevich at Chelsea, and I don't think it's fair to like I don't think it'd be realistic to say yet like she's this really nailed on you know, number two, she's AKB's, like, certain succession plan. Because I think if that was the case, Chelsea wouldn't be looking at all of these other goalkeepers. I mean, they haven't sold her, so I think clearly they, they do like her. And you'd think if you wanted to sell her, this summer would have been the summer to do that. Um, but I think it's kind of understandable for Hampton, especially given her confidence, to say, you know, who knows? Like, maybe I can make that that shirt line um and obviously it'll be interesting to see depending on what happens um I, I was gonna say you know and and in terms of that confidence that we're kind of skirting around that's probably why Emma wanted her as well right you know she she signs uh not only players but kind of human beings right <laughs> they're looking at the whole package there and if z she does give off this kind of comedian and bubbly presence and things like that um, and Hannah has this kind of really steely drive in terms of she knows she's going to be the best goalkeeper in the world, and she tells herself constantly that, and then the cameras, and then presumably teammates as well. Um, but I think that's all part of it, right? Um, I think that's a really interesting thing to watch going forward as well. Definitely, definitely. Okay, let's move on from goalkeeper chat. We'll take a quick ad break here, and then we'll discuss the size of the squad. So I kind of title this sort of section as the kiddie stuck around because I think this was the other thing that sort of surprised me on the end of the window was that there were players who I thought would go out on loan who haven't who have stuck around um you know both of whom have contracts um my assumption around this is that they're gonna still be academy registered and there's this, well, it's not a loophole. It's just that if you're academy registered, you can, but it, there's no like sort of squad limit. Um, so it kind of allows you to have a little bit of a bigger squad. Obviously, there's a limit on match day squad size. So it's not like you can just have a bench of 20 players, um, but it allows you to keep these players in and around. But I guess the question is, is whether that's useful for these players. But Keris Brown is someone who, I think it was fair to say most people expected to to leave on loan, right? Yeah, especially after her new deal, and it's it's kind of what we what we do, right? We um, sign up to the new deal. You look at Lexi Potter and the kind of much heralded <laughs> deal that she got, and then going on loan. Yeah, it it did feel like a very kind of natural thing, but maybe Emma's seen enough in in preseason, and Keris um, feels like you know she can she can become a kind of third choice support in in the roles that she's been used in that would surprise me but again maybe that's the kind of belief that Karis has and, and Emma has in her as a player she can use I mean we saw her against Roma in pre-season and uh yeah we don't know what went on behind closed doors since then <laughs> but yeah it would be an interesting one to watch yeah and I do think it, it it's one of those things that I know not lots of people like academies sort of involvement in senior football in the men's game. But I, I mentioned this the other day. I do think it'd be really interesting to to see what 
more academy involvement in senior football look like? For example, having like a U23 or U21 team compete in the Conti Cup group stages. If your senior team's in the Champions League group stages, it does feel like there is a real dearth of available minutes, especially if you are in the Champions League group stages Um, in terms of like giving players those opportunities whereby you're not playing FA, you're not playing basically any domestic cups until, you know, January, you effectively get, you know, because teams enter at the fourth round in the FA Cup, you basically get like two games maybe that are like meaningless if you're a team like Chelsea, um, which does obviously make that kind of stuff very hard. But um, we obviously do normally see academy players get a sprinkling of minutes around that kind of time, especially in some of the WSL games that can end up being sort of dead rubbers as well. I'm thinking those like Leicester City away games and things like that. So be interesting to see. Um, this basically has left us with a slightly bloated squad still. So the homegrown concerns didn't really have to matter in the end. We've got nine homegrown players. There's some different rules around the Champions League, um, which I would recommend going and looking at Harry Edwards' article about it if you want to kind of understand that. Maybe we'll talk about that in a bit more detail as we actually like roll up towards the Champions League. Um, but in terms of WSL stuff, we are one player over, assuming that Micah Hamano won't be registered at all because of her surgery. I think this is going to be Svitkova left off, right? She didn't go to Portugal, but is it a bit strange that she couldn't get a move even alone? Like, I know she's on a three-year deal, but like, I just don't really understand how we've ended up in this position. Yeah, it is really odd, isn't it? Um, we did expect a couple of loans on deadline day, right? Um, and we expected Cap to be one of them um, and a goalkeeper, and that turned out to be Nikki. Um, yeah, I, d- I do wonder, you know, we, we had a lot of injury concerns with Cap last season. I mean, she just literally wasn't available for the vast majority of the season. And I do wonder if there's kind of the concerns around that, um, around the league or, you know, more widely, um, or if the club feel like she still needs to kind of bed in again, like we were saying, the same way kind of Lucy Watson um, didn't get her loan and then had to come back and, and rehab for that for the ACL. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's a kind of double-edged sword there. Um, where they're kind of wary of, of letting her go and the and the player that we signed from West Ham and, and had all that kind of versatility in spite of what we signed afterwards. Um, yeah, I think it's it does feel a little hoardy, I will say, in terms of like um, keep keeping her around for this uh, sort of for the sake of her potentially being versatile and, and being a really useful squad player. We can't forget, obviously, the other side of it, which is Kat is a Chelsea fan and obviously it was her dream move to come to the club. So that's a kind of another side of it and the, the personal side of it that I think often gets forget, forgotten in these kind of instances. And we just see names on a sheet of paper and stuff like that. Players have agency. She might have wanted to stick around. And, and maybe Emma gave her, you know, the lay of the land said that the reality is that you're probably not going to get many minutes this season. But if you are around and we have those available, you will get a chance to fight like every other player in the squad maybe that was enough for yeah and ultimately if a player's offered a three-year deal and even if they aren't playing they want to take sort of the money from that rather than cancelling it and basically getting paid less elsewhere that's totally up to the player um so yeah but I think basically apart from that weird sort of wrinkle everything's ended up in a fairly comprehensible um place 
However, one little thing that I guess would be interesting to talk about is that obviously match day squad size is even smaller than than what you register. It's 20. So want to put you a bit on the spot here, Ollie. Which five will we see left off for that first match against Spurs? Yeah, I mean, I think Anik Nowen maybe. Um, I'm looking at one of the goalkeepers. Obviously, I don't think we should have three goalkeepers, even though um, in Europe, I think we still obliged to have three. I can't remember. One and one change, maybe. So that's maybe something to look at for Europe. But yeah, one of the goalkeepers, I think Anik drops out. I think Kat and Michael obviously um, drop out there. Yeah, I'd, it's it's a tough one after that. <laughs> it's a really tough. It's a really tough one. It's basically, I think we're gonna have to watch how Emma plays this kind of rotation of of forward players and versatile forward players, especially in the wide areas and in this kind of neat uh, area behind the strikers as well, because we have so many pseudo tens, kind of eight tens. In that area, you look at Kankovic, um, obviously Super Fran, and players like that, Lauren. You know that they all—they're all available to drop between the lines and in these half spaces. You may notice I'm playing for time here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I would I would worry for one of the kind of full back areas each week. I think you know you're looking at Ev and probably Ashley to start, so that means. Neve probably stays on the bench. Jess probably starts centre back. So, yeah, one of the fullbacks will drop out, or or someone who can play fullback. Um, it's just a really tough one. I think Aggie probably will be will be really hopeful to make the bench, but I think it's a straight battle between her and Mia for the first game of the season. I think that's five. <laughs> I've lost down. I think I basically agree with you. I think the obvious ones are one goalkeeper. I wonder if we will have some injury issues, which we'll talk about in a bit. But so potentially Eric Cuthbert might miss out, I'd suspect. Um, Equally, Kat Macario, I think we can safely assume won't be in the squad for the start of the season. Then, yeah, Anik would be the defensive player. I, I just... Wouldn't really like to see ever, but it does seem like she's still here. And then, I don't know, then maybe it's it's something that gets rotated around depending on people's fitness. It seems like they're being very careful with Sam Kerr. And so maybe actually Sam Kerr misses out for the, the first day. I, I mean, I just don't know. I find that hard to believe, Um, but we'll see. It just goes to show, though, how hard it is to sort of pick that, you know, the squad is big. And if you compare it sort of to... City, for example, we've basically got three extra players, not even mentioning the fact that we're assuming Svitkova won't be registered. Um, but ultimately, as well, we've seen time and time and again, you go through a season and you pick up injuries and then suddenly you're back at a point where you can only put four or five players on the bench. And, you know, that's the point of having a squad this deep because it can absolutely kill you, especially when you're looking at that March bit where you're right in the thick of it in the WSL where you're playing Champions League quarterfinals. So... Um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how stuff uh, plays out. I hope we have, I hope this is a problem we have all season because everyone's fit and healthy. Like, that's actually the best scenario for me. Um, but okay, let's take another ad break here and then we will be nosy neighbours and cast our eyes on what everyone else in the WSL did on transfer deadline day. So, the big 
transfer deadline day deal, I think it was fair to say, was Arsenal splashing the cash on Kyra Cooney-Cross, finally getting a midfielder for a big undisclosed fee that sounds like it's sort of in the 250k plus 100k add-ons mark so you're looking at close to if if the add-ons are achievable you'd be looking at close to what Chelsea paid for Penel Harder um it's a lot of money but Ollie we've talked about Cooney Cross on this podcast before when she was linked with Chelsea it does appear that Chelsea sort of pulled out of the race uh, a, a couple of weeks ago and literally the last pod I did with Abdullah we were like talking about just how many midfielders Chelsea have so my personal feelings around Cooney Cross is like yes it would have been amazing to get her I do think she's like an incredibly talented midfielder I do think she'll go on to be one of the top five in the world um but I kind of feel like that about Shuka Nuskan and she plays for Chelsea so there's at the end of the day as much as Todd Bowley tries you can't just simply sign every good player. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there have been some, like, you know, amusing hot takes around, you know, Chelsea didn't break the transfer record, therefore one out of 10 window, right? Um, and <laughs> and I, I kind of I kind of get it in terms of just how, how dominant we've been domestically recently. And you just assume that any great player who is linked with us will eventually um, sign for us. That's just how it's been. That's the state of play. For the last um, few years, or it seemingly has anyway, with Sam and then Peniel and and others following, and that that's the kind of issue um, that I think people are, are raising here. But in terms of Kara, look, she's a brilliant player, and I I said you know a few weeks ago that she like breaks tactical barriers, right? She she's a kind of a great toolkit for um, a kind of modern day midfielder, right? She can do lots of things, and I think she will uh, really up the standard of, of of Arsenal, especially in the midfield area where they've where they've kind of struggled recently, most notably against Paris FC, um, where they kind of Paris were just breaking through the middle constantly. And I think Cairo will really help them with that. I do have a bit of a hot take though <laughs> in that trouble. Um, <laughs> in that I I made all these kind of vast sweeping remarks thinking that Emma Emma would be her coach. And I do find it kind of very interesting to see how she fits in in Jonas Eideval's kind of strange hybrid pressing game you know it, it sounds ridiculous to say that Kara Cooney-Cross wouldn't be able to you know have have a brilliant career at Arsenal and I, to be honest it's it's very probable that she will but I really do think they need to early on scope what her her kind of role is in his grand tactical plan because at the moment, I see kind of several roles for her, and I'm not sure any of them really play to her strengths. Um, and maybe she can adapt to them, but I wonder why you would pay, you know, very, very top level fee and maybe not, you know, give her the pedestal she deserves there. Um, I may be eating my words, you know, going through into the season, but yeah, that's just my kind of two pence on it. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how this works out for Arsenal. We know how much Idaval relies on um, Little and Volti basically playing together. And I think that Paris FC game was the perfect encapsulation of why maybe it's not always going to work to just rely on those two players. You know, maybe they are in the position whereby you can't rely on them in the way that you could two or three seasons ago. Um, you know, equally... 
I feel like when Katrina Cool came in, that was a player that people were super, super excited about. And then we saw almost nothing of her. Now, Arsenal have the advantage, in inverted commas, of not playing Champions League football. So I suspect we will see a lot of Kyra Cool double pivots in the Conti Cup group stages. And that long term will probably be really good for both of those players. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to see how Idaval works these players into the team. Um, I think with some players, it and they've adapted really well to how Idaval wants to play and they've come out looking amazing, like Frida Monum. I think with other players that's not been so clear. Um, so it's gonna be it's gonna be really fascinating. I do think what the World Cup showed is that Cooney Cross is someone who thrives when there's someone quite robust alongside her. And for me, Arsenal just don't really have that player. Like, I don't think Little's sort of physically up to doing that in the same way anymore, as as talented as, as she undoubtedly still is. Marnham is the obvious one who maybe could, but she looks great as a 10. And also she loves to charge up the pitch because she likes playing in a more advanced role. So I think that's still a bit of a, like, sort of long-term question mark for Arsenal, although they may feel that, you know, again, with no Champions League football, they've potentially bought themselves some more time to to figure out that one. Um. So, yeah, it, it's an interesting deal. It'd be an interesting one to play out. I think on in transfer windows, Ollie, it's very easy always to get sort of carried away in sort of the Twitter moment. And sometimes it's good to take a step back and remember that as talented as, as Kyra Cooney Cross is, and I like I would have loved her to play for Chelsea. I'm not saying this in, in any sense of um maybe a small sense of copium, but not too much sense of copium. Uh it's very rare for one player to like truly change and complete a whole a whole squad for a team yeah absolutely um look i think she thrived as you said um for australia because she had such a physical presence next to her f- throughout the tournament and that allowed her this kind of freedom to break the lines and, and constantly be this disruptive and creative presence and it, it you know she had a brilliant tournament um i do wonder if she could have played alongside shook Nuskin. that probably would have been the kind of perfect you know a uh, double pivot for her in terms of, of how she would play. But yeah, I, I think that's just kind of a nice to have, really, isn't it? We have Erin and Shook Nuskin, who you mentioned at the beginning. And you know what? In terms of value, Shook at 140,000 uh, 140, euros looks really good right now. Um, in terms of, you know, she looks like she has the profile, the ability, the mentality to be a top five in the world midfielder and kind of dominate games in a way that maybe someone with less physical stature couldn't. And someone who we've kind of missed with Meli out injured and, and Sophie going through different stages of form. So I think Kyra could be a completely game-changing presence for Arsenal in the same way that Shook can be for Chelsea. And you know what? There's a reason why we pulled out of that deal. And it's probably because we couldn't find a place for her. And I think, you know, fair play to Arsenal for getting that over the line and we'll see how that goes Listen, I had already made my peace with her not coming to Chelsea so I just enjoyed laughing at Manchester United fans so it was a fine day for me ultimately Uh, Speaking of Manchester United, they brought in lots of players, none of whom will be Kyra Cooney Cross in January Uh, Irena Guerrero joined, Fallon Tillis Joyce joined, uh, Gabby George joined and Melvin Millard came on loan so a lot of deadline day action for United they had a lot of outs as well um every time I was like oh great they're bringing in a player because they probably need a slightly bigger squad then it'd be like someone had gone the other way and I was like okay they're keeping their squad the same size um 
Ollie, for me, this window of United has felt like lots of names, but not much coherence, in my view. What have you made of sort of where United have, have ended up? Yeah, I mean, we heard a lot about JC and, and Carolyn very early on, right? Um, and obviously they got JC on the line and, and they're bring, bringing in Melvin and Mallard to maybe kind of make that stopgap before they get someone else over there because I don't think they have a buy option on, on Mallard as, as far as I know. I think they do. I think they have a, oh, they I do. Think they okay. do have a buy option. Oh, French media was reporting they have a buy option. So I've not seen it reported in English media yet. Fair enough. There you go. Well, there you go. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see how they take that because I th I think she's a really talented player. She's not she's not maybe complete in the way that people expected her coming through as this kind of brilliant youth, uh, youth player. She's still reasonably young, so, you know, we'll see how she goes. But, um, yeah, that's definitely one to watch. In terms of the other the other players, they do feel a bit kind of um, squad buildy. In terms of in terms of how they've assembled them, and as you say, you know they they were losing the likes of Bowery. So obviously, you know that they, they um, lost owner Baji to Barca way back when, and it feels like they're kind of recovering from their high point last season. And then right towards the end of the window, it just felt like you know will they lose ups? Won't they lose ups? And that was the kind of prevailing story there. So yeah, I think they'll be they'll be happy in that they've kept Mary Epps um towards the end of the window. That's probably their biggest win on deadline day, I'd argue. Um, even though it was kind of sewn up by then. Um, but it will be very interesting to see how they they go into the new season. And obviously they've got PSG in the in the qualifiers, and that feels like a very 50-50 game to me. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, it's gonna be a fascinating start to the season for United. I think they've got Villa, Arsenal. Then both PSG games sandwiching Leicester. It does feel like if they don't get to, off to a strong start, their entire season could be over before November's even begun. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I watched their preseason game against Liverpool, and it's not really worth taking like loads of grand conclusions from those games. I don't think. I thought it was clear that they'd probably benefited a lot from having a lot of players who'd been not gone to the World Cup. Although interestingly, Elatoun was their best player against Liverpool. I thought, but definitely felt like. The roles sort of for JC and for Miyazawa weren't entirely clear. And I think that's something that's going to be really interesting and tough for Skinner to deal with. There's Mallard, you're talking about being raw. I totally agree. Very talented, but very raw. JC, I think, is in a similar position, despite sort of being a couple of years older. But she's not spent a huge amount of time in professional football environments. And then you've got Miyazawa, who's still only 23 as well. So there's a lot of sort of young players to have to come and um, make up for a significant amount of talent that's been lost in Batia and Rousseau. Um, the Gabby George thing is like kind of funny because they paid 150k for her. And at the time, it seemed that that was more than what Arsenal paid for Kyra Cooney Cross. I don't think that is the case now, but I had a long moment where I was like, why did they do Gabby George's <laughs> like release clause and not do the Cooney Cross money? But I think it's because that was obviously a lot, lot more. Um, so that'll be interesting to keep an eye on there. Uh, let's finish up this episode by doing a little bit of... Uh, international chat. Uh, main headline, I guess, across the globe, Ollie, is is that Spain Spanish players have gone on strike again. Um, all of the World Cup squad, apart from Athenia del Costello, um, again, Athenia del Castillo, Claudia Zanosa also hasn't gone on strike. That's because she's retired from international football to become a policewoman, which the jokes write themselves um so this is obviously like going to be a really big thing again they've basically called for like 
the total overhaul of the Spanish Federation. Yeah, and, and obviously the, the Spanish Federation have delayed the announcement of um of the new of the new coach as well, um, off the back of this. And you know, solidarity. I I really I'm I'm so thankful that we got to a stage after this completely ludicrous drawn out posturing process from um RFEF where they essentially just, you know, called out these imagined lies and then falsified documents and uh we've ended up with Rubiales getting a, a restraining order, rightfully so, against uh Jenny Meister. So yeah, I think we've ended up in the place that we should have been probably two years ago with with the Spanish Federation and, and hopefully that these 39 with their courage can push for change and actually get meaningful change in the way that they actually want for Spanish football and the way in which frankly their World Cup performance deserved. Yeah definitely some good Chelsea news though moving back towards Chelsea is that uh, US women's national team call up for me official feels so hilariously on the nose that she's got this without even having played an official minute for Chelsea in that sort of classic, oh, you're at a big club now. But I think realistically, this actually speaks a lot more to moving on from Vlatko Antonovsky's time in charge and and was probably something that would have happened regardless. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I was we were laughing a few weeks ago with Abdullah that, um, you know, the Amir asked uh, Vlatko if going to Mexico would impact her chances with the US and he infamously said no it wouldn't she'd get as much chance as anyone else and lo and behold she got zero chances <laughs> across her time there so yeah it is very on the nose that when she um, comes back you know she goes to a big club in Chelsea that she gets an instant call up but as you say you know she was on a wave you know it's the calls haven't stopped you know since she since she first got minutes for the US and you know, frankly, since she was coming through UCLA. So it's really great. And I hope she gets her second cap for the US and kicks on from there because I'm pretty sure they need someone in that team to kind of come in and, and take the mantle of a lot of players who are kind of winding down in their careers, we'll say. Yeah, and it will be really fascinating to see with when Makaria gets fit because Andonovsky's whole idea was whole idea was to play Makaria as a false nine until she did her ACL. So we could be in a position where two Chelsea players are competing to be uh, America's starting striker, which will be fascinating to see if that does happen. Um, no Australian fixtures, that's good. More rest for Sam, who I think clearly needs it. Other point of note is everything else pretty much as as you would expect. No Aaron Cuthbert in the Scotland squad. So I think it's pretty clear, obviously, she wasn't in that squad for the Roman preseason game. She's obviously carrying something. Um, it's kind of hard to speculate about this, Ollie, when, like, just got no idea at all. But I guess we're just hoping it's not something that's super serious. I feel like if it was something super serious, maybe we'd have tried harder for Kyra Cooney Cross. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's one of those things where, you know, two weeks ago we were still in for Kyra. So we probably would have pushed the button on that if it was like a you know dreaded knee injury or whatever i i feel like we're playing it really really safe with um with returnees this summer you know we've talked about sam and how she you know might be might be rested or, or benched in the first game and i feel a very similar way in terms of erin i think we're just you know we know how key a player she is we've seen the the really um great start to life at chelsea for shook and, and you just kind of have your dream of of Shook and and um, Erin in that pivot, and we need to make sure that Erin is as healthy as possible when she comes back in order to fulfil that. Um, I think 
yeah, we know how key a player she is and it's just about getting her back healthy. Yeah, definitely. And we're fortunate that, you know, like we said, we we do kind of suddenly have a, a lot of midfielders and we touched on in the last episode, obviously, um, Melly retiring from international football, which is a big boost again. So there's actually, I think, going to be quite a lot of rest, hopefully, for, for some of the players um, ahead of the start of the season, which we are now getting, thankfully, very close to. I note... Magda Eriksson is on the bench for Bayern Munich for their opener, which is being played right now. I will make no comment. Um, but we are now sort of two weekends away um, from the WSL getting underway. So basically, we are going to start rolling into some preview content, um, which I'm really looking forward to. I feel like we've talked around and around this season for this whole month, Ollie, but it feels like we're finally ready to get our teeth into actually analysing how we think Chelsea are going to do this year. Exactly. Yeah, tickets bought ready to get get going and yeah see the best Chelsea team in action very very exciting alright so we'll be back with you next week Chelsea fans but until then you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high <laughs>